Hello, it's Debbie McGee and I have spilled so much tea in the first series of Spill the Tea with Debbie McGee, I'm going to spill some more. That's with my show business friends with stories from their life in show business. The ups, the downs, oh, and the very funny. So join me for series two. Spill the Tea podcast with Debbie McGee. Here I am again, Spill the Tea with Debbie McGee, Series 2. And my next guest, well, he's so interesting, so funny. And I can remember him in the early days of Emmerdale playing Joe Sugden. It's Fraser Hines. And he also is Doctor Who. So join us for some fun and some spilling the tea. Spill the Tea with Debbie McGee. You know you want to. My guest this time is Fraser Hines, who I'm lucky enough to know as a friend, and we've worked together on a few things, particularly yeah. in uh, pantomime. Fraser, a few years oh, ago, was, about three years yeah. ago. Yeah, that was in York. Um, I was the uh, the emperor, and you were the genie of the ring. Great time, I was. We lovely time. We had a great fun. We had a lovely um, Susie Shaw. Um, she was fantastic from Hearsay. She had a great yeah. sense of humour. She. Because when I thought, oh, we've got this girl from a pop group, marvellous. And I, I suggested, I remember, uh, I suggested a gag. And she said, oh, please, please, put it in, put it in. Yes, please, please, please. So um, one of the p- policemen had to say to me, oh, uh, your majesty, I, I believe your daughter wants to be a pop singer. I said, no, that's just hearsay. And she loved it. She said, oh, keep it in, keep it. So we kept it in for the whole run. And I can remember because you had quite a few scenes with her because she was Princess Yasmin and your daughter. Yes. In it. And uh, there was one scene that every time you came on, you changed the line to see if you could talk to her. And, uh, and yes. she nearly always did. <laughs> no, I think that was a really happy panto, wasn't it? We all had a oh, really yeah. lovely time. Lots of us remember you right back to when you were, you know, this superstar you know through my teenage years as Joe Sugden when Emmerdale first started you're in it seemed like forever um yeah. how did how did you get the part had you done a lot of acting before I don't well in fact I I sort of approached stardom so to speak uh in Doctor Who where I played Jamie the, the Scottish um t- companion to Patrick Troughton I mm. was only supposed to be in for four episodes of the Highlanders but the BBC liked my portrayal so much that they wrote me in and I did three happy years. In fact, I'm still the longest running companion. I mean, the Guinness Book of Records, Debbie, of being the longest running companion in Doctor Who, which is it was great fun. But years later, obviously, um, I, I used to go out with an actress called Lisa Goddard. I mean, everybody, all your listeners will know, viewers will know Lisa Goddard. And, and we split up, we still remain friends. And I had Sunday lunch one day down at Recklesham Farmhouse in Farnham, where she was living with her dad. And I said, oh, David, David Goddard, I'd, I'd worked with him all many, many years ago as a little boy for BBC on three or four different shows. I said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm doing this farming show. It's only 12 episodes. I've got my mother, I've got the elder son. I'm, I'm looking for the small and the younger son. And Lisa said, but Daddy, it, it, Fraser, he's from Yorkshire. He's, he's a good actor. And in fact, if you don't give Fraser the part, Mummy and I are going to leave home. So that's how I got the part in Emma Fantastic. How did you know? I've never heard that story before. Yes, so it's not what you... It's who you know, isn't who it? You know. you know. But of course, as you said, you know, you started as very young as a child actor and did some really good roles as a boy. Well, yes. I, my famous, famous story is 
if I'm at a dinner party in London and somebody says, well, I was talking to Ian McKellen the other day, or when Laurence Olivier once, I said, well, Charlie Chaplin once said to me, and the knives and forks, Debbie, who's <laughs> Charlie Chaplin? And what, the, what, I said, yeah, I worked with Charlie Chaplin in a film called King in New York. Uh, and I was playing a little boy who was, who was singing grand opera and picking my nose, and he, he showed me what to do. He said, this is what you do, mm. Fraser. And he liked, he liked my performance. And the next day I said, Mr. Chaplin, I've got an idea for some comedy. And instead of him saying, I'm Charlie bloody Chaplin, I'm written, produced, starring, directed this film, and you're a 10 year old kid. He listened to me. So well, what's your idea of comedy, Fraser? I said, well, if I did this, this, and this, he went, hmm, what we do is we do that. We twist your idea around, then we have the comedy. He was so great. He listened to a 10 year old boy. And that's what I do now. If I'm doing a pantomime and one of the babes comes up, says, Fraser, Fraser, I've got a new joke. I'll never say, come on, I know enough jokes. I'll always listen to a little kid because you'll never know. You could go on stage and use that joke that night and get one of the biggest laughs. So you, need, mm. you never stop listening. You never stop listening, however far it be the, the ladder of success, because Charlie Chaplin listened to a 10-year-old kid. Do you think as you got older, starting so young has helped you along the way? I think it has. Because me and Richard O'Sullivan, Francesca and this Dennis Waterman, we were all at Corona School. We'd all done a lot of work. So it was just a job. We weren't thinking, oh my God, there's so-and-so. How can I speak to him? It, we were just part of a team, of a film, TV series, whatever. And that was it. You, you, it was your job. And as a young kid, it, we weren't precocious. Uh, we were just doing our job and that was it. And I think probably now I understand, you know, when any programme or like with me doing Panto with you, you're always known even now as the cheeky chappy that keeps everybody happy. Well, obviously, it's because you never had any nerves of speaking to famous people because you're always just mixed with them. So it's yeah. just they're just who they are. So mo moving along. And of course, you did mention earlier about um you know, you're in the Guinness Book of Records uh, as Doctor yeah. Who's companion. But of course, when you've been in Doctor Who, and especially like you had a featured role, it never goes away, does it? You go to all these conventions around the yes. world. Never goes away. I, you know, I, I've been to Australia, New Zealand, America, Sheffield, all these wonderful places doing Doctor Who. And I'm very proud of it. People, you know, some actors go, oh, I don't want to be reminded of the old days. I'm very proud of Doctor Who and I'm very proud of Emmerdale. You know, those two things have given me a house uh, and give me fun, uh, a nice car or whatever. No, you, I never regret doing any of those shows, even though Doctor Who at the time, it didn't have today's budget. I, I was on 40 pounds an episode. Mm. Um, it was just a children's television show, 5.15 after the football results. 515, there our doctor came on. It was just a TV, it was just a children's TV show. The big show it was it is today. Since I worked with you just about three years ago in Panto, um, you've had loads of things going on. You've been in Doctors, and again, if I'm right, you were booked just for one episode and they wrote it so it went a bit longer. Yes, that's right. I, I was in Los Angeles and I met this lady, uh, an English lady who, who, who was doing a convention, a doctor convention. And I was talking to her and she said, yes, I've written Doctor. I said, you know, I've never done Doctors, Holby City or, or Casualty. She said, Fraser, I'll write you an episode of Doctors. And you know, Debbie, as well as I do, people will promise things in show business. Oh, leaving me, Debbie, I'll get you in this. And you'd never hear from her again. Two months later, my agent rang up. Oh, Fraser, I, I've, I've got you um, a part in Doctors. I said, no, you haven't. I've got the part in Doctors. <laughs> and I, yeah, I did the episode. Um, 
it went on very well. Uh, got, got a lot of publicity through TV times. And, you know, where's Fraser been? Here he is back on TV where he belongs. All that sort of thing. Lovely, lovely publicity. And then the writer, Lisa McMillan, lovely writer, she said, oh, Fraser, the, um, BBC have been on to me. They liked your character so much. Um, they've asked me to write another episode. So I thought, oh, great. So literally, I was supposed to do it in April this year. Then it was lockdown. Uh, but no. I did it recently. And talking about jokes and stuff, the, the director, lovely man, da, uh, Dan Wilson, he, after the first day's film, he said, I, I, I phoned my wife at lunchtime and I just said, I've had the most wonderful fun on location filming with Fraser Hines. Not only did he know his lines and everything, but he kept us laughing in between takes where we were sitting up, it was raining, it was cold, it was damp. He kept us laughing all the time. And uh, I said, well, that's very kind of you. Normally, a director will never say that to you. You, you know, yeah. they, they never they never praise you. If anything, they'll try and keep you under the thumb so you don't get too <laughs> But no, it, it was lovely. Absolutely. And also, I think what I find amazing about that is that also when you're playing a role, when you're acting, you know, most people have to be concentrating and thinking of their lines all the time, which is why they don't can't let go and mm. maybe keep everybody laughing. But for you, it just seems second nature and you're not you haven't got your head always in your role. You just know that you've got those lines, I presume. Yeah, well, once you know, once you sort of discovered your character, I mean, I know there's some actors that you can't speak to them unless it's their character name and don't mm. speak, don't laugh at them, don't look them in the eye. I think because I have been going for so long that, you know, once you've got your character, you can, you can walk into the, you can be playing a murderer and walk into the wings and go, hey, what's the racing results? How's the cricket? How's the test? You know, you don't walk into the wings and go, I'm still in the zone. I'm still. That's quite dangerous, really, Debbie. It's quite dangerous, you know. You should. Um, people say about character acting as well. I always think that ninety uh, percent is the character you're playing, and ten percent. Mm. But your ten percent is stronger than that ninety percent of the character. Otherwise, you really would murder somebody, strangle them. So yeah. your ten percent has to keep has to overrule the ninety percent of the character. That's my yeah. end, that's my theory. That's my acting. That's my little take on it. That's very interesting. I've actually never heard anyone talk about it like that, To you know, because what you normally hear is, oh, yes, I immerse myself in the character. But you're right. I, I've never heard it explained that way, which is uh, really good. And so if you if you're asked to give advice to young actors, what's your advice normally to them? Because I'm sure you are asked. Well, you know, it's the old thing of you know your lines. Uh, don't trip over the furniture. It's the old thing. But you know, and, and just be nice to other people because you, you're doing, we're all in the same team, you know, whether you're fellow actors, the director, the publicity girl, the, I mean, we had a little um, Emily, we had a, the prop girl, and I, my mm. character had to eat these two sandwiches. So this, and I didn't eat them because she said that that's the only sandwich I've got. So well, I won't eat it on the tape, I just offer it. So at the end of the day, I said, I've got to drive home now. Um, she said, well, phrase, I, I know you live on your own, I've made you a little box. She gave me the cheese and pickle sandwiches and two cupcakes. And oh. because I'd been nice and kind and made a laugh. So that was the next day I went back and I said, I thought of you, Emily. I said, I got home. I opened my sandwiches, my cupcake, poured myself a large red wine, watched the TV. And I went, cheers, Emily. Thank you for supper. And she, she giggled. And said, you know, because, you know, what is nice, we're all in the same team. We're all trying to make one show. Nobody's more important than, than the show. Oh, absolutely through your career and life in you know acting and show business because you've done loads of different things mm. um 
Who's made the biggest impression on you? Two of the hottest stars at the time. Uh, I made a movie after after Doctor Who. Uh, I, my agent said, "You must you must leave. You've done enough television. You must leave that and, and, and do films. Do films." Mm. So I went straight to a film called The Last Valley, and Michael Caine and Omar Sharif. They were at the top of their tree, and they were two of the nicest people you could ever wish to meet. Uh, I, I met I, the film had been going on for about six weeks, and I joined halfway through. And they said, "Oh, this is Michael Caine, Fraser. This is Fraser Michael, Fraser Crane Cork." And within ten minutes, Fraser, have you had to do what the two nuns walk in the park? And, you know, and, and we were just cracking gag, literally within ten minutes. And you know, lovely man. I know Mr. Sharif lent me his Rolls Royce to take a girl out to supper in Austria. He lent me his Rolls Royce. Yeah, I was playing chess with him. He said, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm taking this lovely girl out up in the hills to a little restaurant. Will you go by taxi?" He said, "Today I have." Lots of lines to learn. I would lend you my driver and my Rolls Royce. And so, Omar Sharif let me, and on the way back after supper, Tug, the driver, he was cockney broke, pulled into a lay-by. I said, we broken down. And he lit a cigarette. He said, now, Mr. Sharif said, I'll just sort of let you say goodnight to the lady proper. And he, he walked away. <laughs> and that was it. By the time he came back, she was knitting a sweater and I was reading War and Peace. So, <laughs> so God knows what Omar got up to. But, Oh, well, listen, I, not, this isn't any kind of tag to your story. It just links a little bit because it's not a story I've really ever told many people because actually these days lots of the youngsters don't know who Omar Sharif is. No. But when I was, Paul and I were recording the magic shows at the BBC and we'd be rehearsing at the acting rehearsal rooms every day. And in those days, you know what it was like. Everybody met in the canteen at lunchtime. And yeah. um, Omar Sharif was there for a little while, I think about a month making a drama. And so every time we came up for lunch, he was sitting at the table next to ours and he always had his half bottle of white, red wine waiting for him. Did you speak to him? Well, yes, I always used to go and say hello, Mr. Sharif, as I walked to my table and joined my crew. And then through somebody else, not directly from him, he invited me out for dinner. And I was about 21, I think, 21, 22. And um, so and I don't know how old he was then. But, um, you know, I didn't I didn't really fancy him. I just thought, you know, I know who he is and a great actor. And um, so actually I, I said, no, thank you. And the, I can remember that weekend we were in the studio and the makeup girls said, we can't believe that you said no, Debbie. You know, you, it'd be something to tell your grandchildren. <laughs> and I said, yeah. well, I might never have any. <laughs> well, so there, just only because it linked to your um, story. Well, just, so, a, just an addendum to the end of my story um the next day he said oh i said oh thank you fred we used to call him cairo fred oh thanks fred for the loan he said uh, this lady are you in love with her? i said no no is she beautiful yes would you mind if i take her out for supper tonight i said no and i started to laugh he said why are you laughing i said well i wasn't even on the poster i thought i said bet, bet this is the first time somebody an actor not even on the poster gets to the girl before omar sharif and he went yes was oh, the only time <laughs> <laughs> You know, yes, the only I thought you never again, never again. I thought you'd finished your story, so I apologize no. for breaking no, it in no, the no. middle. And the chat. we're two friends having a chat, and this is what we do. We are, we're spilling the tea. You know, before you were famous, and I mean, you know, you were quite well known even as a boy because you played big roles. But um, who who were you a fan of when you were younger? Oh, uh, well, I always wanted John Wayne's career, firing guns or throwing grenades. And no director saying, this scene, you must, the emotion is when you've just lost your wife and she's just, no, just, okay, just jump on a horse and gallop up and fire a few guns and go, the hell I will, okay, King Kate. 
Okay, pilgrims. That's you know hardly any sort of big emotional yeah, strong stuff. Great fun. And leaping back horses. And did you ever get to meet him? I met him once. Yes, I met him. Oh, he was doing a thing. I think it was called Brannigan. He was making a film over here, and I went up to him. You know, I, I was what twelve years old, I was thirteen. I said, Mr. Wayne, Mr. Wayne, I want to do a cowboy film. How do I make a cowboy film? He said, Son, just walk slow and talk low. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's another great saying, isn't it? Just <laughs> I mean, walk slow and talk low. <laughs> <laughs> and I know you've written your autobiography a few years ago now, because I remember interviewing you about it. Hindsight, uh, yeah, hindsight, yeah. Which I presume people can still get hold of. Yes, on my fraserhines.co.uk. And have you still got the shirt I gave you, that pink shirt? Do you know, I still wear it all the time. And yeah. every time I wear it, this is, uh, we better explain. When we were doing Panto together in York, I we were up there for a couple of months and I took up all jumpers. But that winter, York was so mild, wasn't it? So yes. I went into the theatre one day. I was said to Fraser and a couple of other people, I was chatting, I've got to go out and buy some shirts because all I've got are these very warm clothes. And Fraser very kindly said, oh, I've got a shirt that actually I'm not wearing. And uh, you gave it to me and it was a really lovely, it's a really nice shirt and I always when I wear it and I wear it quite often I always say to everybody oh this was Fraser Hines shirt you know so there we go I give you a in, in uh, Dallas Texas yeah was, I remember it was a pink and you fold the sleeves back and they're red it, it, was, it was just getting too tight on me I thought oh no and, and it was more of a feminine shirt anyways you know I, I, I know and you know this is these are things that happen I suppose in other people's lives but it happens a lot in show business and you know sometimes I can remember I did a job a tv job called the farm that you were on for a few weeks and one of the other actresses with me um she'd only bought a few things you know a few clothes and it was getting really cold and everything and so I'd got more than her so she ended up wearing my jumpers and, and things and I gave them to her at the end as well so it's a lovely part of you know the warmth of the the family of the shows that we do isn't it my girlfriend at the, at the time was american and she came over to see the family well, stay with me over christmas and her su suitcase was lost by american airlines she had no clothes and susan came in with leggings tights jumpers a long evening dress and she said oh these will fit you amy and that was lovely of susie Shaw. you know i didn't know susie except she, as a team member really yeah so kind of it you know but, it know, was lovely. People are very kind. People are very kind. Yeah, absolutely. So, how, how have you been filling your days in lockdown? Well, the days go very quickly. Then, by the time I get up, uh, I have breakfast. I walk around, the, or I get I get my bike. I, I cycle to the newspaper shop and get some stuff. Come back. Uh, suddenly, it's twelve o'clock, and I go to my local pub and have a, a Fraser sandwich. We've invented the sandwich, which is cheese and mayo and, and, and lovely granary bread. And I have that. And suddenly, it's, I watch two cowboy films in the afternoon. And suddenly it's six o'clock time for, you know, a bowl of soup or something. So the, the days go very quickly. The nights, because I live in my own, the nights go very slowly because that's when I want to say to somebody, oh, look at this. Oh, he wouldn't do that. Or, or if I want yeah. a collar or something, you know, that's when I like to turn to somebody and go, oh, that's totally wrong. She's just said, so, the, you know, the days go very quickly. The days go very quickly. Yeah. And, and anything in the pipeline for when we get back to normal? Um, well, yes, I've, I've just heard from the writer again that... Um, they're going to write my character, Sonny, back into Doctors for another episode, which uh, I think she's writing as we speak, which is lovely, which mm. is lovely. 
Uh, and oh, and the director of, who, who was singing my praises, he, he said, oh yeah, I, I told my wife. I said, oh, that's very nice. He said, no, you won't know this, but my wife produces uh, Holby City. So don't be surprised if you don't get a phone call in two months time. So there could be a Holby City in the house. Who knows, there could be a Holby City as well. And of course, that's the life you love, but playing roles like that and being in those television yeah. dramas. And I'm keeping my fingers crossed for Panto. Are you doing Panto this year? No, mine's gone. It's been moved till the following year. Oh, yeah, I keep my fingers crossed that I might, I'm going to have lunch this week with our fellow producer, we you know Chris, he's uh, mm. got two pantos, so I'm hoping I'll be in one of his. Um, oh, that would yeah. be good. It would be good, yeah. Yeah, well, but send him my very best wishes, but I, will. I, I, will. Would, I could talk to you all day. Spill the tea with Debbie McGee. You know you want to. I hope you enjoyed that. Fraser, he always makes me laugh so much. And uh, my next guest coming up next time on Spill the Tea with Debbie McGee is Tommy Blaze, the lead singer from Strictly Come Dancing. He's been on it since the very beginning. So join us for a chat then and a bit of Spilling the Tea. Spill the Tea podcast with Debbie McGee.